Um, we have been in this uh, Kingdom of God series now for a few weeks. We're going to jump into the book of Hebrews in just a couple more weeks, and so I'm excited about that. If you want to start reading ahead, um, we, we kind of have spent the last few weeks talking about what does it truly mean to, to, to take part in the Kingdom of God? What does it really mean for our focus and our, and our, and our perception and our understanding and what we're doing to, to kind of run through that lens and, and, and talk to, uh, specifically about how if we don't keep the kingdom of God in mind, if we, if we allow ourselves to not focus on that, then we will find ourselves um, getting a little narrow focused at times. And then last week we talked about how the kingdom of God is, is actually at work in us. And so we wrestled through the, I'm not really feeling like I'm fully redeemed, but yet I, I, I know that I am redeemed by God and he is, he is doing a redemptive work in me. And our, our definition, our kind of our working definition for, for the kingdom of God is, 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 is the redemptive reign of God. We said that the, the kingdom of God isn't necessarily a realm or a place or a people, but it's a sovereign reign that then creates a people and a place. And as we've been working through this, I would encourage you to go back if you missed some of it. But as we've been working through this, we've, we've identified the fact that the kingdom of God is both present and we're seeing aspects of it now, but also not yet. And that's the tension that we live in. And so last week we talked a lot about sanctification and how um, being made holy and what God is doing in us and, and challenged all of us to kind of engage in what does it mean for us to individually see the redemptive reign in our lives? How do we, how do we allow his, his redemption to wash over aspects of our life that, that maybe we have thought he couldn't do or maybe things that we thought he was, he was not at work in? And so we've, we've been working um, specifically on that. And this week we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about the fact that that if, if God has made a people, if he's doing a redemptive reign, if he's doing redemption and, and in us as individuals, it's not just so that we can be the, the lone ranger doing it by ourselves. In fact, we see a couple different scriptures, both Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 talks about us being made into a spiritual, a spiritual temple, um, talks about this. This is significant for us in, in a specific ways or a couple specific reasons. One is when we think of the church as a whole, it's not... Most of us will understand that the church isn't just a facility. I mean, this is a, a, a school 90% of the time. And so we know that the church isn't this. We set up and tear down. But, but the church is us individually being made into a community of people. The reason why that's significant is when Jesus, or when the Apostle Paul even said in Ephesians 2 that you're being made into a spiritual temple, most first century Jews, any person around this time would have understood that that was kind of the, the central place of worship. The temple is where sacrifice happened. The temple is where we went to, to, to worship God together. The temple was the, the central hub of worship. And so when Jesus comes and sets on scene as the final and, and, and a massive and a most beautiful sacrifice, he removes the temple as an established building and turns it into his people, his, his followers. And so, in essence, all of us that have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are walking around, we are a walking form of worship to God. Our lives are meant to be about worshiping God. Our lives are an image of what it means to be a focal point for worshiping God. And so as an individual, this happens. Well, then a little bit further down in Ephesians, we see that when we're all together, we display the manifold wisdom of God. We also see in 1 Peter 2.5 that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And so we, we see this scripture where the expectation is God's redemptive reign is, is at work in us. And he's doing something profoundly beautiful in us. But it's not just so I can look better. 
so I can, I can, I can operate and, and, and be more like Jesus Christ. His redemptive work in me is, 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 is what's happening at the same time in you. And what he does is he creates this community of people. Again, his redemptive reign is, is just his sovereign rule. But in that ruling, in that ruling, when we see his authority in place, we submit to that, we see community and worship happen together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about how redemptive reign would play, how the kingdom of God would play out in us as a church. And not just, you gotta, I got to kind of identify a few things because, again, I think when we think of us as a church, a lot of us go, okay, church as in Revolution 22 or church in as this denomination or this, no, no, as a church, as individuals that are spiritually, or spiritual temples made by Jesus Christ. As individuals that then work together, so we kind of a simple way as, as a small C church, meaning we're we're a, we're a community of believers. If this is your home, if this is where God has you to 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 worship Him in community, then then you're a part of this small C church. We're part of the small C church or the large church across the world that is worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we're we're just a small extension of the body as opposed to the only body and the only thing. And that's why I think churches get in trouble is when they start thinking that they're the only ones. But we have to understand that when you're here, and this is where I think churches get, maybe the individuals in churches get in trouble, is that we, we have this lack of commitment. This lack of, I'm not really, I mean, I like it. They got decent enough coffee or it's okay. Or they got, you know, they got good baked goods and the kids seem to like it. Or, you know what, the seats are semi-comfortable. Like, like we, we tend to go to, to those things as to why we're a part of it. Or, or man, I really love the, the, the mission that they're behind. And, and as, as if a church really is making a different mission than, than what the church is supposed to be. Right? Like, there are aspects and ways this will play out differently. But we're all called to make disciples, to be light be salt. Like, there's, there's, no, there's no extra, like, oh, this church is the one that's going to be a little bit more evangelistic, and this church is going to be a little bit more. Now, that happens, but at the end of the day, if the believers that God has here submitted themselves to his authority and actively pursued his kingdom work both inside and out, we would see something drastically different as a community. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 3 that we'd see some the varied wisdom of God actually displayed on earth. Like when, when, when believers are, are using the gifts that God had created beforehand for them to do, and when they're submitted to his authority in that, and they're submitted to his scriptures, when we see that picture, it's profoundly beautiful. And so I wanted to um, talk a little bit about what it means for us to submit to the redemptive reign as a church, as a, as a body of believers, and then the, the reason is, is because is if, if we do that, the actual effect it has on the world and the kingdom of God around us is profound. And, and, and I'm going to push on you a little bit because I think some of you right now, we've got to do a little bit of work on our disdain for the bride of Christ, the church. Some of you have been burned or hurt or you're dis, dis, disconnected or you feel like, you know what, I love, I love being on the perimeter of the church but I'm really, really sick of the people that are in the church. And so I just kind of, I kind of hold myself at distance and I kind of keep myself at bay. And I, I want to just like one statement, we don't have time to go into this necessarily, but actually the church is the bride of Christ. And I like, you don't all know my wife, but she's pretty awesome. I married way up, right? Okay. So, but like, it would be essentially saying, Bren, you're great, but I really just, I just don't like your wife at all. And that, that's, that's offensive. Now, she may have offended you in some way or whatever. That, that's another point. So don't, this falls apart as an analogy very quickly. But my point is, is that when you say, I don't really like the church, 
you're literally saying, Jesus, your bride stinks. That's a big statement. Now, don't get me wrong. As Jesus' bride, we all have made massive mistakes and reasons to be like, whoa, what's going on? But at the end of the day, this is the structure. This is the community. This is what kingdom of God looks like is the church. So this I'm just done and I'm not going to be a part of the church, I'm just going to be with Jesus on my own is an offense to the very thing that God created you to do. And so we have to understand that that is actually what's expected of us, is to be a part of the church, to, to, to pursue one another in the body of Christ, to serve and to, to, to give of ourselves and to be selfless. And I, I challenged you last week and said a lot of your sanctification journey is the individuals that God has around you. But you keep pushing away those people because it's just too hard. If they would just go away, life would be so much easier. And God's going, no, I'm doing a work in you through those people. And so we have, to, we have to recognize this. Let me just use one more analogy in this, and, and this is maybe to push on all of us. Um, I think most believers would say that they believe in the sanctity of marriage. They believe that, that the marriage between a man and a woman is, is what God created, and this is the beautiful thing about it. And this is good, and this is wonderful, and this is, this is how it's supposed to be. If you don't believe that the church still has the ability to be what God has created it to be, you essentially are saying the same thing about marriage. And let me, let me see, say this through, because in Scripture, we see that the marriage is really supposed to be a perfect picture. I, I feel like my marriage falls very short of this on a regular basis, but it's supposed to be a perfect picture of Christ and the church. And so if we instantly just assume that it just can't happen, ah, it's just not going to happen. Like I, it's, it's good in theory. You know, I love the idea that we should all be serving one another and loving one another. That's just, a, it's great on paper, but it's just not realistic. We throw in the towel. You're dangerously close to saying the same thing about your marriage because the same image is used, Christ church, Christ church. And so I just want to push on that. Again, that's, there's a lot more there that I don't have time to go into before we get into this section, but I want you guys to understand that, that if you don't believe that the church has a role, if you don't believe that you as an individual are tied to community and you kind of keep yourself uncommitted and on the outside, you're in, you're in, you're, you're dangerously walking a line where you're, you're offensive to both Christ and the, and the scriptures. And, and I will say this, just for what it's worth, I have never seen anyone, and I mean good friends of mine, I've never seen anyone that distance themselves from community and all of a sudden their life just goes amazing. I've never seen that. It's always the opposite. It's always the opposite. Everything falls apart when they re- remove themselves from community and sanctification and, and rebukes and encouragement and all the things that the scriptures say. In fact, there are 159, you've heard me say this, 159 commands in the New Testament alone on how we are to treat one another, how believers of God, how submitted followers of Jesus Christ are expected to interact with other followers of Christ. It seems like there's something happening here. Why? What is God doing? What is, what is the purpose? Before we get into how this plays out, I want to just hit three Three really specific things that are going to affect us in an unhealthy way in seeing the kingdom of God play out as a church, which then hopefully you'll see how that affects um, the kingdom as a whole. There's three things. If we, are, if we believe that the redemptive reign of God, just if you will join me here, just to say, okay, the kingdom of God is supposed to play out somehow in the church and not in the small c church, in the body of believers. This is supposed to play out somehow then these three things would be true of each of us if we believe that, okay? And so this is, there's, this is not exhaustive. In fact, 
like I said, 159. Tells me we're a little short. I've only got three. But, um, but this would change the way that you served. Okay? This, this would truly change the way that you served. And I'm not just talking about serving in kids' ministry, which many of you stepped up last week. Thank you so much. That's why we have kids' classrooms today. It's awesome. But, but I'm not just talking about that. But it would truly change the way we serve. It's no longer something I have to do, no longer something that I should do, and it becomes something that I long to do. It becomes something that I, I, I want to do. In fact, 1 Peter 4.10 talks about a gift that you've been received that's actually meant to be used. So God has gifted you with things, and he says, now use them for one another. Use them in this church. Use them together. And so, so realistically, if we believe that God's redemption and his, his redemptive reign is, is playing into the church, then each of us, every single one of us, because of our commitment to the bride of Christ, would be commissioned and excited and using the gifts that God's given us. It was right there. And some of you are like, well, I, man, God gifted me in underwater basket weaving. I have not found a way to use that. I don't know. Youth might think that's cool, right? Like, who knows? But it, it's not necessarily the, the specific gifts that we get into, in, into Corinthians or whatever else, but that we would actually be marked as servants. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And as, as the, the, the body of believers play out, like, this would change the way we serve. Not in guilt or shame, but we would look for ways in which we can serve every single person that God puts in our path. How can I be selfless with them? How can I serve them? This is an acknowledgement. Again, these are just three things. This is, there's, there's more. Okay. An- another thing that would, would drastically change, if we, again, this is a big if, if you and I believe that, that our, we are to be a part of the community of God, we are, we are committed. This is my home church. This is where God has me. This is, what, this is where he's, he's, he's placed me for a time being. Then we would be commissioned to say, okay, well, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm, I should be serving my, my brothers and sisters. I feel like when someone has a baby, I should be the first one to ask them, like, how can I help? What do you need at your house? What can I bring for food? I feel like God should, I should be serving with the gifts of teaching or whatever else he's given me. Like, I, serving should be natural. The second thing is the way we forgive each other. If redemptive reign was actually at work in our individual hearts, then the way that that would play out collectively is we'd be way more forgiving of each other. Incredibly forgiving of each other. And this is, this is a big one. And here, here's, here's why. Again, stay with me because I promise I'm going somewhere. If you can't believe or if you can't forgive another brother or sister, there's something wrong in your heart. And I don't care how gross or wrong or difficult it was what they did. And here's why. Apply whatever your reasoning for not forgiving that person to God and you and see if it actually works. In fact, the scriptures tell us that. In Ephesians 4, um, 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's not, there's not, there's not a... There's not a, a footnote in there. Well, just unless it was really bad or it was like the third time they did it or, you know what, she's just really annoying. Like, there's no, there's no footnote in there. And so when we, when we posture ourselves in a submission to the authority of God under his kingdom, then we are to be marked as forgiving people. Super forgiving people. Now, look, a little side note. Forgiving someone does not justify what they did. 
Forgiving someone does not mean that the consequences go away. Forgiving someone does not mean that you just put yourself in the same situation and have the very same thing happen to you. That's, that's not forgiving someone. Forgiving someone is doing as God did through Christ in us, is saying that that offense I no longer hold over you because it's been paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what's sad to me, guys? Is that our disconnect and belief for the kingdom of God actually reigning in the church is this issue right here. We are so unforgiving. So unforgiving. Man, they did it again. I, I'm done. Just, just try. Just maybe, maybe, if nothing else, let me just pause. This. Maybe some of you right now, your hearts are burning with unhealthy anger and bitterness. And you know what's happening is it's a poison that's affecting every other relationship in your life because you believe you're right in holding this wrong over someone else's hand, head. Let me, just, let me just push on you. If that's you, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, 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 like, I'm really sorry because that's not what God calls us to. If we're going to submit to his authority in his kingdom of God, and this individual, we can't separate them, then this has to play out. The way we forgive one another would be profound. In fact, dare I say this, the way that we forgive people would make no sense to the world around us. You ever think about that? You got someone that works with you and sees that your coworker does something horrible, and you're like, yeah, was, I can't believe they did that. They totally hung me out to dry. And they're like, yeah, you should, you should tell them and write them up. And you're like, no, you know what? Like, I, I thought about it. They're really in a hard spot right now, and I, I, just, I just decided to forgive them. What? What's wrong with you? I'm telling them. Like, people would not understand it. In fact, we all love a good vengeance movie, right? Like, come on now, right? Like, this see someone, like this one guy take out everyone because, you know, he stole his cat or something, right? Like, it's like we, we all love that story, but it's countercultural to the story that God is trying to tell through his redemptive reign. It is in opposition of what God is actually saying through his scriptures of his kingdom. His kingdom is marked with blood, and it's not ours, it's his. His kingdom is covered with grace and forgiveness, not because of what we did, but because of what he willingly walked to. Do you, do you understand how big of a deal it is for us as a community of believers to start forgiving one another? And this may mean no longer, well, I'll forgive you when. Just for what it's worth, another side note in this. This is free. You can't go to someone and say, when you did this, it made me really mad, so will you please forgive me for being mad? No, 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 no. Just, man, I, I was wrong in my anger. I, I, I thought lowly of you. I gossiped. I slandered. I, here is how I have sinned. David, I have sinned against you and you alone. Well, David, you kind of sinned against a few other people. But either way, like, that's the posture, right? Like, it's, it's I, am, I recognize that my sin is first to God and then has played out in other individuals. So forgiveness would mark us in a different way. There's, there's so many different things. The, the, the next one is, again, this just kind of encompasses a lot of them, is that we would actually love each other. Now, this is where we're going to get some traction. I understand, again, yes, if we're going to submit ourselves to the redemptive reign of God and we're going to see his, his authority and, his, and our submission and his community of us and, and, and our worship together, one of the things that we should see is, is our love for each other. In fact, Jesus actually says it in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you. That's a big deal, first off. We don't have time to flesh that out, but a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another, just as I have loved you, not like I have loved you, but just as. And then here's, here's why. You ready? Here's, here's the big why. Why? 
By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, I don't know about you, but I struggle to believe that sometimes in my life. I really do. The way I interact with people, it's not with my love for one another because I've disconnected the fact that people may actually see that and, and connect that to the kingdom of God. They will know that you're a follower of Jesus by your lack of love for each other. It doesn't say that. They know you're a follower of Jesus by your complete bitter heart that doesn't like to forgive. They will know you're a follower of Jesus because you're so selfish and all you want to do is be served. There's a lot riding on that. If, If God's call and command is that we love, the new commandment that Jesus gives us is to love one another just as he's loved us, which is pretty sacrificial and really hard to do, just in case you're wondering, right? Okay. By this, all people, all people, not some, not some distant person, but the, the, the family member that doesn't know the Lord that you're, you're, your heart's breaking for. Your, your coworker who is so lost, your, your dorm mate, your, the student that you keep coming in contact, all people will know that you are his disciples by the way you love one another. There's a lot riding on that. If we're going to submit ourselves to the redemptive reign of God, there's a lot riding on this. See, these things are just some of the ways in which this plays out. And the way that this plays out isn't so we can have this really cool club and at the end of the day, like, high-five each other about how awesome we take care of each other. That's not, that's not the purpose. The purpose really is that when we submit individually to the authority of God's redemptive reign, in community, it brings about worship within the church that draws people to the bride of Christ. When's the last time that your worship of God has drawn other people to him? When's the last time that, that, that your, your gospel community sat down and, and your guys' collective worship has been such a beaming light that people are going, I want, I want some of that. It doesn't make sense. It's weird, a little cultish, but I want some of that. Like, when is the last time that, that you've, you've experienced that where all of a sudden people are going, no, no, I, I don't, I, I get it. Like, they say things that are harsh and there's there, but I want, I want to be a part of that. Jesus has this, this profound prayer, and we don't have time to cover it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a, a few sections of it, and then I'm going to pray this over us at the end of today. But it's this profound prayer. Jesus, at the end of his, end of his, kind of his, his walk on earth, he has this prayer for us, for you and me, for believers. He has this prayer for us, and it's this profoundly beautiful prayer. And, and I can't help but think that this, if we could just receive this prayer, if we could just understand this prayer just a little bit and just submit ourselves to the authority of God in this prayer and recognize that, first off, that prayer actually does something. That's a whole other sermon. But this is actually Jesus Christ, the, the one whose blood was spilled for you and I, the one who created a spiritual temple out of us. Like this, is, this is his prayer to the Father before he leaves his disciples. And it's, it's, just, it's just beautiful. In verse, it's, it's John 17, verse 11. He says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I, I, would recognize, I recommend you read all of John 17. It's just incredible. I am, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Speaking of, of the believers. And I am coming to you. So he's talking to his Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be what? A dozen? That they may be so disjointed and separated that they don't really serve or love or forgive one another? No, it's, it's one. I didn't do a word study, but I'm pretty sure in the Greek that means one, just so you guys know, okay? 
that they may be one. And here's the, here's the example. Even as we are one, we see this incredibly beautiful picture through Scripture of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God. We see Jesus talking about the Father and his glory. We see the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus Christ. We see Jesus saying, look, you can say what you want about me, but don't you dare blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We see this incredible, beautiful picture of, of them working together. And Jesus' prayer, his, his plead isn't that, oh, God, make them one so that they can just make it through this dark world. He says, no, make them one as we are one. And then he goes on and says in verse 14, down to verse 14, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world. Side note, if the world loves you, just be aware of that, okay? Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Oh, man, I really wish you would have pulled this part out. <laughs> I don't ask. He's like, I don't ask that you take them out, God. No, no, in fact, the work I'm doing in them, keep them in place. Like, make them be closer to each other. Let them smell each other's BO. Let them really, really frustrate each other. Like, get them in each other's houses. Like, keep them in this world. Why? He says, keep them in this world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Okay? And then he goes on. They are not of the world, just as I am not in the world. Sanctify them in the truth. We talked about that last week. Your word is truth. Not slight truth. Not most truth. Your word is truth. Done. Jesus just finished the argument. If you guys want to know whether or not this is truth, Jesus spoke. Okay, there we go. It says, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And then ready? Here you go. I do not ask for these, these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's asking the Lord, like, not just these ones, but the other ones. Lord, the other ones that you're going to bring into me, the other, the other part of the community that we're gathering up to bring apart your kingdom, I, I ask for them as well. And he goes on, that will receive me through their word. They, that they may all be one. There it is again, guys. That they may all be one. And he goes on and says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and I love them, even as you love me. Jesus' prayer is for us to be one. And yet we're so petty, we can't serve, we don't forgive, we, we just don't love. And Jesus' plead to, the, to God is that he says, hey, hey, keep them in place, keep them in this world, because I'm telling you right now, the world is going to see how they treat each other. He's going to see that they aren't just about unity for unity's sake, but they're actually striving to maintain unity, like Ephesians tells us to do. They're actually working hard at making sure that there's, oh, whoa, 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 hey, this sounds a little bit like gossip. I love you. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But I think we need to involve this person and have this conversation. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, hang on, hang on. I understand what you're trying to do on Facebook, but it's just not coming across that way. Can we do something different? Like striving to maintain unity, not peace at all costs. Jesus will cut across the middle. It is a very harsh thing, but unity amongst believers. And what that changes, and that, for why? why? Why would God do that? 
so that every single pastor could look at the scriptures and go, I just want an Acts 2 church. That's really what it comes down to. Because God's kingdom is about this. His kingdom is that we are one. His redemptive reign, it's not going to be like little sex up there. Oh, you're the denomination that gets the right side of the altar. And you're the denomination. Like, that's not how it works. The kingdom of God is his redemptive reign as a whole. And he says that the way that we treat each other, the way that we maintain unity, the way that you and I serve and love and forgive and, 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 and train and rebuke and encourage, the way that we do all of this brings about redemption to this world that is so desperate for it. So desperate for it. It, doesn't, it does not take long to realize how desperate this world is in need of redemption. How desperate we are for the reign of God as a whole. It does not take long for us to figure that out. When the church is the church, with the kingdom of God in focus, the world will take notice. Do you, you realize that? When you forgive the way that God calls you to forgive, when you serve the way that God calls you to serve, when you submit the way that God calls you to, when you submit to his truth, the world will take notice of that. And they may at first be like, wow, that person is like holier than thou. And they may try and shun you, which, you know what? Jesus just said, look, they hated me. They're going to hate you because you're not of this world. But I'm leaving you in it and praying for you to be protected from the evil one, but to be so stinking stuck together that the world around you would go, I want in. I want to be a part of that. Acts 2, um, 42 is the, kind of the beginning of this, and this is why I said every, every pastor hopes for like this to happen. Every baptism I, I envision like droves coming up and getting so, soggy closes because of this, like it's just awesome. But Acts 2, 42 at the end, talking about the believers that after kind of Pentecost happened, all this stuff is beautiful and everything's in place and, and they're just teaching. And it goes on, it says, and they, they being Anyone that was supported, submitted to God's word, the apostles, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That doesn't mean that they, they dressed alike or that they had the, the same color of skin, although that was probably fairly realistic there. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that the commonness isn't what we go to. The commonness is that they are submitted to the community of God. All things in common through Christ. All things in common, right? And then he goes on. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And every pastor was like, amen, right? Okay, and then, and day by day, attending the temple together, which there is no temple anymore. We are the temple, Right? attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, did you hear that? How many of us have favor with half the people we come in contact with? They were having favor with all the people. And then he ends. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Do we believe that's still possible? Most of us are like, man, I ain't selling everything. Okay, could you sell something? Maybe you just don't buy something. It doesn't have to do with possessions. The, the issue is, the, the sermon isn't that, that money's free for all to have. That's not, the, that's not the message here. The message is that every single person counted everything they had as the kingdom of God's purpose. 
And what happens? What happens when we as believers submit ourselves to the authority of God, to the community he has us in, and worship with a submitted heart to God that is every single thing I do in service, every single thing I give, if I sell something, whatever it is, all of it's a form of worship. What happens? God adds to the number daily. Some of you, let let me just say this really clear. Some of you have stopped believing that God can add to your number, to his number, through your family. You've stopped praying for that father, that uncle, that sister, that brother. You've given up. You just it's just not going to happen. Some of you have, have, have begrudgingly been praying for God to add someone. You're like, I don't really want them here. <laughs> Can you make them not a part of this community? But when we submit ourselves to the redemptive reign of God, it plays out. There is no need. There really is. And some of you, you've experienced this through gospel communities. You've, you've had a child or you've, you've experienced like, man, I had no need. I had meals forever. It was amazing. Like you've experienced the redemptive reign of God in your life. Some of you, 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 you want to do it, but you're like, man, it takes work. I'm going to have to give up things. I'm going to have to get a little uncomfortable. Honestly, guys, I, I, mean, I mean this is like as gentle as possible. I, you just don't see comfort in this New Testament. You don't see Jesus saying, oh, man, come to my kingdom so that it'll just be as comfortable as possible. In fact, we see quite the opposite. The world's going to hate you. You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to give up things that you don't really want to give up. And guess what? No one's going to notice except for me. And I'm going to get all the glory for it. And that's what God's expectation is for us. And so when we think about Jesus' prayer that we would be one, well, Why? If we want to ask two church, like, I, honestly, I do. Man, that'd be awesome. Not even, like, that would be incredible. I don't even know if I have the ability to even lead that or be a part of that as a community. Like, I'll admit that. But how incredible would it be that there was no waiting to find needs that were met? There was no, there was no issues. Everyone, everyone was, the needs were met. And then the way that we operated, every other person that we came in contact with went, whoa, whoa, a bit crazy, but I want to be a part of that. That's a, little, that's, that's a little crazy. Like, they just totally, like, shared their heart in a prayer request as opposed to my uncle's cousin's aunt's dog twice removed prayer request. They actually bared their heart out, and it was received. And grace was extended. And then they pushed in. Like, what, what is this? Whoa, whoa, they were totally wrong. And they forgave. What is this? If we're going to take part in the kingdom of God, we're going to recognize that all of the causes, everything that God has us to do, every part that we're playing, every role that we're doing, whether it's, it's serving in a big way or serving in a huge or a small way or it's just being present, if we're going to do that, we have to recognize that ultimately God has called us to do it together. And he calls us to do it both inside the church and out, not one or the other. And look, some of you right now, you are amazing at doing stuff outside the church, but you will not lift a finger for the bride of Christ within. And that's, that's an issue. And some of you have gotten so comfortable at doing everything you possibly can within, but you just ignore your neighbor. That's an issue. It's not one or the other, it's both and. If we're going to submit ourselves to the redemptive reign of God when it comes to his kingdom in the church, then we're going to have to see that there are ways in which God is going to call us to give ourselves up. The band's going to come up, and we're going to worship some more. But before they do, I I just want to ask this question. Are you actively playing out the redemptive reign of the kingdom in the community God has you in? If you can't answer yes to that question, you're like, "Um, maybe, I don't know. 
then I would encourage you to, to talk to your gospel community leader. Come talk to us. Find out what it means for you with the, with the life stage you're in, with the, with the things that you've gotten yourself in, <laughs> whether it's um, oopses or, or, or good things, and say, okay, what does it really mean for me to play this out? If you're not, if you're not excited, if you're not excited about using the gifts that God created you to use, so that he can bring glory to himself and that your brother or your sister that is not a part of God's kingdom yet can, can be used. If that doesn't excite you guys, like we gotta, we gotta do a heart check. If we're not excited about seeing more people come to know the Lord, like then, then who are we following? I mean, most of us in here, I'm assuming, have submitted our lives to God. And most of us see the, the joy and the peace and the, the, the incredible love that we feel and know and experience through Jesus Christ. Why would we withhold that from anyone? Why would we not be more relentless about it? In fact, dare I say, why wouldn't we push into the community God has us in to be more relentless because we, there's this beautiful picture that when we all do it together, the numbers are added daily. That's what God says. When we all do it together, it's, 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 the, the, it's profound what God does. Why? Because at the end of the day, within the church, if we're not submitted to him and his authority, then what are we doing? If we're not really pushing into the community that God has us in, then, then it really isn't kingdom work. And if we're not doing everything out of worship, if it's not a worshipful felt, if the way that we worship doesn't draw other people to the Lord, then, then it might, dare I say, it might be about us. And I'm not just talking about when we sing although I, th I think you'd see it there. I think that's one way you'd see it. But the way that we'd worship with our lives, with our money, with our friendships, with our time, the way that we worship God as a community should have an effect on the world around us. Let me um, pray this over us, and then we will continue to worship. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. Hear this, guys. Jesus is praying for us. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled." But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may, be, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, 
because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and I love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved may be in them and I in them. Amen.